Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Allow me to read this passage. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. The Lord, open our hearts to these simple truths, Lord, that we as your children must have a heart filled with your love. Not our love, not a love as this world has for one another and self, but Lord, an unconditional love, a love that is only there because you dwell in us through your Spirit. Lord, guide us in our study today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you've read much of John's works, you find out that John kind of writes in circles a little bit. Uh, we kind of all talk in circles from time to time. We kind of hit one topic, go to another, go to another, and kind of come back to something. Well, that's what John's doing here. He has gone through uh, a message about how we are to love versus hate. If you go back to chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, we see he's already dealt with the subject of love versus hate. Uh, verses 9 uh, through 11 of chapter 2 says, The one who says he is of, in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So this earlier passage kind of addressed this uh, relationship between love and hate and described it as the difference between walking in light or walking in darkness. Here in this passage, we see that John is comparing the, uh, having either love or hatred as either being in death or life. So it's a, it's a matter of life and death to the Christian. And what we're going to see is that there's four different ways that he approaches relationships that we ought to have with one another. So John has been talking very much about what we see in the very first verse. From this is, for this is a message which you have heard from the beginning. I mentioned this from the beginning is God's word from the beginning. And if you look at the Mosaic law, it basically focuses on our relationship with God, and our relationship with one another. He narrows it down into what we call the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. The first four basically focus on our relationship with God. The fifth one, kind of a transition, it talks about our relationship with our mothers and fathers. And then the last five is how we ought to have a relationship with mankind. And then a man came to Jesus one day and said, Master, 
what's the greatest commandment? He thought, well, if I could just keep the, the greatest commandment, then God would be pretty pleased with me. And Jesus answered him and said, the greatest commandment is this, to love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. But there's the second one, and the second one is unto this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Within these is all the prophets and the law. So basically, Jesus, in those two simple phrases, covered the entire Old Testament. He said, this is what God wants us to be about, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, every fiber within us is to focus on our love towards God and to love each other, our neighbor, as ourself. Well, that young man got kind of a little cocky. He said, well, you know, there's a lot of people who are in my social category that I like a lot. Maybe I can even say that I love them. But what's your take? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus gave him the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan comes along and says, I have compassion on this man. The two men of God, the priest and the Levi, they passed on the other side of the road. They didn't want to get tainted by this man's blood. I guess they kind of thought, well, that would make me impure and I would not be able to do my godly task. But their godly task was to show love towards others. So they failed at doing what God was instructing them to do. But yet this despised man, this Samaritan, came along and he had compassion on this man. And he showed love. And so we look and we see that God is filled with this love. So John looks at this and shows us that we ought to be more like this Samaritan and show love. But what we see here are four different ways that mankind shows their relationship with others. First of all, he talks about murder. He says, from the beginning, we are to love one another, not as Cain did, who was of the evil one and slew his brother, murder. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now we look and why in the world would John bring up Cain? Well, he's basically saying you either have one heart or the other. See, everybody has a, a physical inheritance. I am who I am because of my mother and my father. That's the physical inheritance. But we also have a spiritual inheritance. Whose are we? Are we of Satan, the devil, or are we of God? And so basically what John is saying is Cain represents those who are of the devil. And he, he slew, he killed, he murdered his brother Abel. Now, when we look at this, you have to understand there's a difference between killing and murder. Someone can kill someone in self-defense or as an act of war, and it is permissible. But murder basically is showing disdain towards another human life. Murder is a physical act which is taken out, out of anger and out of envy, jealousy, hatred, and it's the epitome of Satan living within. And so the devil is a murderer. He always has been, always will be. He wants to destroy all who are of God. He actually wanted to destroy God. He wanted to usurp God's throne and get rid of God so he could be the leader. But we see that this places Cain on the same level as 
Satan. And so we need to go back and see why John uses this illustration of Cain. See, he basically says, we must love one another, not as Cain, who had a heart of evil, who had a heart of hatred, who had the heart of Satan, the devil. So he's saying that Cain's spiritual father is of the devil. And he murdered his brother Abel. And not only did he murder him, he lied about it. Do you remember what God said? He said, Cain, where is your brother Abel? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, he knew exactly where he was. He's laying out in the field dead. And so we look and we see that God knew the heart of Cain. Now, if you don't understand that, you have to understand what the Scriptures say. See, Cain, let, let me just read it. It's found in Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Genesis 4, 4 through 8. This is where Cain and Abel brought their offering to the Lord. Abel, on his part, also brought the first, firstlings of the flock and of the fat uh, portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Here's the warning. God sees Cain's heart. Listen to what it says. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? God saw the anger in Cain's heart. And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. You must, but, it mu but you must master it. So God is saying, I see the anger in your heart. Why do you think God did not accept Cain's offering? Not necessarily because it was not a blood offering. It could have been that reason. But see, God always looks at the heart of the giver. He knew Cain, uh, Abel's offering was given freely. It was given as a true sacrificial offering unto the Lord. But God looked at the heart of Cain, regardless of what his offering was, and he rejected it because of his heart. And we're going to see the evidence of that in just a moment. So Cain told Abel his brother, uh, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed and murdered him. Now the word killed or murdered in your scripture, if you go to the, uh, the Hebrew there, it, it, it's not pretty. It means that he bludgeoned him to death. This was not a fistfight that got out of control. This was premeditated murder. He basically did some pretty evil things towards him, if you look at the background of that meaning. But God saw that the evil was crouching in Cain. He knew and even warned Cain, if you don't get this under control, if you don't surrender this, if you don't do what is right, if you don't surrender your heart to me, then sin is crouching at the door, and it will master you. And it did master him, and he bludgeoned, murdered, savagely Abel. And so we look, why did Cain kill Abel? Well, it's found in verse 12. Why did he do it? And for what reason did he slay him? Here it is. Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Did you know Jesus faced the same thing? 
Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life. He lived it out in everything that he said and did. And when the Pharisees, when the scribes, when all those religious people saw him, they felt guilty in comparison to his righteousness. It brought out the evil that was there in their lives and showed them for who they truly were, and they couldn't stand it. That's why, guess what? They plotted to kill Jesus, just like Cain killed Abel. The exact same thing. If we, as God's children, are living righteous lives, the world around us will hate us. Did you know that's exactly what it says in verse 13? Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. So we look, and the first relationship that uh, we see here is murder. Murder in their hearts. Get, a, get rid of this infestation of righteousness that makes us feel guilty. If there's no righteousness in the world, then we won't feel guilty in comparison. And so now we see this passage, verses 13 through 15, about hatred. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So here's what we're looking at. A lot of people would say, you know, well, I'm not Cain. I've never murdered anybody. But you know what? There's been murder in a lot of people's hearts. The only reason why they did not go through the physical act is called the consequences. They did not want to be arrested and tried and found guilty and maybe sentenced to life imprisonment or even death on death row. And so that's really probably the only reason why some people have not committed murder. But hatred in the heart is the same thing as murder. You do understand what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you have hatred towards your brother, you are equally guilty of murder. That's what Jesus says. And so we look at our own hearts. Are we guilty of murder because of hatred in our hearts? Well, you know, every Christian from time to time will get angry at somebody for what they've said or what they've done to them. But as we dealt with our last time together, are we practicing a lifestyle of anger? Or is it something that we sense in our hearts and we say, Lord, I don't want this to overcome me, so I want to surrender it to you. I want you to give me the peace to overcome this anger and to help me to surrender it and to overcome it with your love. And then the Holy Spirit jumps in and fills us with that unconditional love towards that person. And instead of hating them or showing anger towards them, we pray for them and have compassion on them. And so we look and we see that hatred may not have the same outcome, physical outcome, as murder. Nobody dies for our hatred, but our hearts, the inward penalty is the same. For Jesus himself said, if you have hatred, you are guilty of murder. So those who belong to Christ are to love the brethren. Those who do not belong to Christ are dead to, this, to uh, the Spirit, and they will die eternally. So every Christian needs to know that God expects us to practice love every day in all of our lives. And so we look and we see that as a child of God, we're to love our brethren. And as a result, we will step into or abide in life 
Otherwise, we will live in hatred with murder in our hearts, and we will abide in death. Can a murderer receive salvation? Of course they can. As long as they quit living a lifestyle of murder and hate. The only way they can do that is to repent of their sinfulness, allow God to forgive them and cleanse them, and to step into that transformation life where God takes that hatred and that anger and that murderous desire and replaces it with his love and compassion. Yes, a murderer can be saved. But the issue is not whether a murderer can be saved or not. It's whether a man can continue in this lifestyle of hatred and anger and truly be a child of God. Well, we looked at murder. We've looked at hatred. Verses 16 and 17 deal with what I would call indifference. Let me read these passages. For we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So indifference. Jesus never showed indifference. His whole purpose for coming was to die in our place. And that's what verse 16 is all about. First John 3.16 is a beautiful companion to John 3.16. John 3.16 is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Look at this. We know that by this he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Jesus did something we cannot do. He died in our place for our sins. I cannot do that for anybody else. So God's not saying, okay, find somebody that you can physically die for. Well, there are people who have died to rescue others. They have placed their own lives in danger to protect or to rescue or to make sure that someone else did not die. There's untold many people who went out and saved a person who was drowning only to drown themselves while saving the other. There are people who have actually put themselves in front of a person who was being shot at, and they took the bullet. It's amazing how a compassionate heart can make that decision in an instant and give their own life. I read about a man, his son and a friend were out swimming. And both boys got out too deep, and he swam out to them. He realized how weak he already was. He knew he could only save one boy. Guess which one he saved? The friend. He knew his son's heart, and he knew his son had already given his life to Christ. He knew where his son would be one day, but he didn't know about the other boy. Folks, that's compassion. It's not indifference. Jesus never showed indifference. But then John, after saying all that, challenges us. Whoever has the world's goods, in other words, you have plenty enough to share. You're not hurting. You have the ability to give whatever is needed. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a question we need to ask about the, the priest and the Levi who bypassed the, the man uh, who was 
laid waste on the side of the road that day, but it's also the same question we must ask ourselves. In our day-to-day, I'm going to be real honest with you. It's hard to know what the true need of people are when they come and ask for help. Now, first of all, here's what the Bible says. Sees his brother in need. Well, that's the brother in Christ. If one of you is truly in need, I believe that this church would be more than ready to help out individually and corporately. But we would know your heart. We would know what that need is, and there'd be verification of that need. But what happens when a stranger comes up and says, I need help? We don't know this person. We don't know their background. We don't know if there's a genuine need or if they're just asking for handouts because they don't want to work or they are misusing whatever it is that they have. Well, how do we deal with that? Well, the simple thing is, let's go to the Scripture. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, So then... While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those of the household of faith. First, we minister to each other. When there is a true need, we see it, and we have compassion, and we do all within our power to meet that need. But we are also to do good to all people. How do we do that? I believe the simplest way is to pray. Lord, may your Holy Spirit show me what this need is. Is it a genuine need? Is it something that you've enabled me or as a church to meet this need? And if so, then we will freely give because we can. You've enabled us to do that. If I cannot meet the need, but I sense it's a genuine need, then I need to go to others who could help meet that need and make sure that the need is met. But... With a stranger, when you're in doubt, if you give that first time and they come back for another, it usually becomes pretty obvious that they have found somebody willing to give with nothing in return. And so it becomes obvious they're just wanting handouts when they could easily take care of themselves. And so we look at this indifference. If we had the opportunity to help a brother or help anyone who's truly in need, and God's given us the ability to do that, there is absolutely no reason not to do it. Now, I believe that giving is something between us and God. I've always kind of had a bad taste in my mouth when somebody has seen somebody on the side of the road. You know, there, there's certain places in Starkville where there's almost always somebody sitting out at the exit to to that store, and they got a sign, you know, need help, need food, whatever. And I know people obviously stop or they wouldn't be sitting there every day. Well, the problem is you read Facebook and they're bragging about, hey, I gave this guy a Big Mac. Why are you bragging about it? That's between you and God and this person. Are you wanting the attaboy or do you want God to receive the glory for what you're doing? So if we minister to a need, that's between us and that person and God. We're allowing God to use us, and God is the one who gets the glory. God is the one who we are doing this in the name of. If you are giving a, a, 
a sandwich or money or whatever to somebody in need, and you want the credit for it, you did it for all the wrong reasons. See, we minister it in the name of Christ, in his name only, not my name, not your name. So if God leads you to minister, that's between you and God. No one else needs to know about it. It's not an act to brag about. So look in your heart and say, Lord, if you're leading me to do this, I'll do it. If I cannot, but you're still leading me to understand this is a need, then lead me to the ones who are able to come alongside of me and do so. So we look at murder. That's the worst way of dealing with our relationship with others. Hatred, which is basically the, the root of murder. And then indifference, which, let's just be honest, there are some Christians that, who show indifference. It's basically because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to truly guide our paths each and every day. And we become self-centered, and we don't want to give away what we've worked hard for. But if God puts it on our hearts to do so, may we always do it. Then we come down to the very last verse. Christian love, unconditional love. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so as a true child of God, we must have hearts of compassion. If we don't have a heart of compassion, then we have to ask ourselves, am I truly a child of God? We have to ask that because God is compassionate. He is unconditional in his love. And if God dwells in us through his spirit, then he has his love in us, his love of compassion, his unconditional love is in us. So if we don't show any unconditional love or a heart of compassion towards others, the question has to be asked, are we his? Are we his? Well, we look and we see there are people who see a need and they'll address it with words. Well, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray right now that your needs will be met. Well, guess what? You're probably a person who can meet that need. You already know about it. If God's compassion is in your heart and he's enabled you to meet the need, there's really no even need to pray about it. Just do it. Just meet the need. Well, I'm going to pray that somebody will come alongside and help you with your need when you're the one that could do it right then. James brings this same thing up. James chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled, and yet you do not give him what, he is, what is necessary for their body, what use is it? So do we love with words or with deeds? There again, our deeds are between us and God, not for bragging rights, but to minister in deeds and truth means that we do something that is right to help and we do it for the right reason. We do it because we see a need and we know that God's enabled us to meet that need and we do it because of the love of Christ and for no other reason. So as we give, as we minister, we minister in the name of Christ, and we need to be bold about that. God has loved me and given me a love for you. God has enabled me to help you, and so my help is given in the name of my Lord Jesus Christ.
don't get the pat on the back. It's not you, it's God. God's the one that's giving you the heart of compassion. And so we need to do all of our deeds in truth for the right motive, with the right heart. So as Christians, we do not let love expect anything in return. If, you, if you've ever given and expected somebody to come back and say, oh, you gave me X amount of money the other day. Here, I want to repay you. No. You always give without any expectation of anything in return, especially from that person. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38 says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardoned, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by the standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Well, that sounds like I just lied to you, doesn't it? Sounds like God's going to pour your lap full of what you just gave away. He will, but not in the same way. See, first of all, he's telling us to have the right heart. We're not to judge other people. Otherwise, expect somebody to judge you. We are also always to forgive others, even when they don't ask for forgiveness. Because God says in his word, if you shall not forgive others, I will not forgive you. And so we must forgive others so that he will forgive us. And if we live to receive, we'll lose what we have. But as we give freely, with a heart of compassion, God will bless us in ways that we cannot always understand. It may be that he helps us financially, materially, but I believe mostly God blesses us with his peace, his love, his assurance of salvation, the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit living in us, giving us guidance and understanding. God blesses us by pouring himself into our lives. So we're either going to judge people and be judged, or we're going to forgive people and be forgiven. We're going to either try to gain back what we ever give, and we'll lose what we had, or we can give freely and allow God to bless us in his own way. The evidence of our status is not what we say, but what we do and why we do it. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, open our hearts today. Help us to understand the truth of this word. Lord, you have blessed us individually in ways that we cannot fully understand. Lord, financially, I don't know of a single person in the life of this church that is truly in need. Lord, you've given us compassion because your love is in us. So, Lord, may we allow that compassion to show. Lord, not for our own glory, but for your glory. May everything that we do be done in your name for your honor and for your glory to help people realize that our ministry is not for our own self-glorification, but it's to point them to you. Lord, it's your spirit working in us and through us that leads us to do these things. Lord, if we, if we fail to do this, 
If we're indifferent, then Lord, we are not living by your Spirit. We're not living according to your will. Lord, throughout your word, you tell us to love one another, to love our brothers, to love our neighbors, to love all people. Lord, we can only do that, not with just our words, but how we treat one another. So, Lord, give us a heart of compassion. Lord, if there's indifference in our heart, if there's hatred in our hearts, help us to deal with that. May it not be a lifestyle, but, Lord, convict us and show us the right path. Transform our hearts into a heart of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.